really am a strong believer that to have a Jewish mindfulness sensibility does not depend upon sitting in meditation necessarily. I think the meditation is very helpful, but I think anybody who I think thinks about this, learns about it, even just a little bit, can do it. I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman, and I'm so happy to welcome you to Hashi Venu, a podcast about Jewish teachings on resilience. I'm so happy to welcome Rabbi Jordan Bendadapel today. Jordan is a program director at the Institute for Jewish Spirituality and a teacher of Jewish mindfulness. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you. Great to be with you. It's so good that you're here. I want to ask you to begin at the beginning and to reflect a little bit about what is mindfulness? Mindfulness is a general term that refers to really a way of relating to our experience. And so I, I think a, a great definition of it, a, a definition that many people find helpful, comes from John Kabat-Zinn. Uh, and he says, mindfulness means paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, and non-judgmentally. So there are a number of different components to that definition, but you see that when you get to the core of it, it's about how do you relate to your present moment? And it needs to have intention as part of it. So obviously we're always experiencing our present moment, whether we're aware of it or not. And mindfulness is bringing a kind of uh, consciousness and intention into how you are relating to your present moment. I think it's also important to note that this idea that John Kabat-Zinn uh, is really a pioneer at bringing mindfulness from uh, Buddhism into a secular, and, and in his case, really a therapeutic context. In its roots in Buddhism, this word mindfulness, interestingly, when British scholars of Buddhism were first translating these ancient Buddhist texts, from mostly from the Sanskrit and Pali into English, uh, they kept coming across a key term that uh, was smirti or sati, depending on, on you know Sanskrit or Pali. But it was this key term. That was the term uh, that they translated as mindfulness. Interestingly, and I think importantly, uh, the those those words in their native languages actually has the, the meaning of remembrance. Hmm. It's, the, it's really the verb to remember, a form of the verb to remember. So um, it, it raises this other side to, uh, you know, how we understand mindfulness generally, which is that it's, in a sense, coming into a, a kind of remembrance that I want to be present in this moment in a certain kind of way. And this element of remembrance is, uh, in many ways, a crux to the whole thing. Of course, I, we're going to be speaking about Jewish mindfulness, and there's a really important connection on this level of, you know, mindfulness and remembrance as well. Well, that's, I'd love to go there. It's so interesting, because I read John Kabat-Zinn's book, Wherever You Go, There You Are. Is that the name of it? Mm -hmm. um, you know, 15, 20, 20 years ago now. So I've been familiar with it. And it's so interesting to hear you speak about it and to hear different resonances, to learn new things about the general practice of mindfulness. I'd love to hear you reflect on what do you think a particularly Jewish approach to mindfulness is. So I think the first thing to say is that 
the Buddhists really pioneered this approach, but that doesn't mean that mindfulness is Buddhist. And uh, for sure, other people as well, um, including Jews, who, you know, all people who have a mind and a body and a heart, who are, you know, people who arise, you know, come into this kind of way of relating to our experience. Uh, I think that, you know, for a number of reasons, Buddhists were especially interested in exploring and, and deepening this realm of experience, human experience and spiritual life and religious life. But I, I really believe very strongly that mindfulness isn't Buddhist, it's not Hindu, it's not Jewish, it's not Christian, it's not Muslim, it's really human. Mm. And when you take a human faculty, a human capacity, and you locate it within a particular religious tradition, you know, wisdom tradition, a calendar, you know, et cetera, I'm thinking of a, a teaching of Reb Zalman's, you know, taken out of context, but it's kind of like tofu marinating, you know, so the mindfulness, it becomes really informed by the sensibilities of whatever tradition it's located within. You know, it included, I didn't mention, but the the ethical standards of that tradition. So what's Jewish mindfulness? I think, first of all, we could say that Jewish mindfulness is a form of working with one's lived experience, a practice for working with one's experience that Jews have been doing. So I think that's one level to the definition, but I want to, I, I find it really helpful uh, in my own practice, in my own teaching, to think about Jewish mindfulness using just these two midot, these two qualities um, as a rubric, and those are uh, chesed and emet. And so chesed, which I like to think of as uh, covenantal love or committed love, and emet, which means truth, or in this context, honest looking. I really see Jewish mindfulness practice as, it can be understood as a practice of training in deepening one's capacity for being loving and honest with one's lived experience, Mm -hmm. moment by moment. So let's start actually with emet. And so emet, again, it means truth, but the way we're thinking about it here is, you know, what's true seeing? What is really going on? Like a, a kind of a core of our mindfulness practice, uh, certainly of our Jewish mindfulness practice, is uh, it's like training in being as honest about what's actually happening now. So <clears throat> moving, it, um, moving beyond reaction or viscerality to taking a, a more reflective understanding. Right. Exactly. Reflective and uh, I'd say more of a, a, trying to have a more comprehensive uh, view and understanding or really a witnessing of what's happening in our experience and to do it on as many levels of our lived experience as possible. And by that I mean, you know, not just being aware of what I'm thinking about, but also being aware of what's going on in my physical body moment by moment as I move through this world as I'm thinking about things, reacting to things, eating things, doing things, etc. Uh, what's happening in the physical body? That's a key part of this this uh, practice of MS. What's so true right now? So not the unconscious. I mean, there are, there's times when I know that I'm, you know, eating a meal 
and, and multitasking, eating lunch over work, and I don't even know, I don't even taste what I'm tasting because I'm thinking about the next meeting I have to go to. Like, so bringing the awareness to the, the physical experience that I'm actually having. Exactly, exactly. And we all do that. <laughs> yeah. We all do that. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot to say about why that's helpful, but I think it's, you know, a good start is really just to, to affirm that we run into trouble as human beings when we're never quite present with our lives in the only moment in which we're actually alive, which is only this moment. And so if I'm spending all my time projecting to the future or really, you know, working over things that happened in the past, and yet I'm alive right now experiencing things, but I'm not actually all that much in contact with them. A big element of uh, this Jewish mindfulness practice is training, again, in our capacity to just be with whatever's happening right now. How do you cultivate that? How do you do that training? What are the techniques? So the primary technique is really meditation. In the meditation, in this Jewish mindfulness meditation, we really uh, practice in a way that helps bring our attention into this present moment. And before I say that, just to you know, finish, mm-hmm. I think before I can say that, just to you know, touch into this idea of um, chesed, mm-hmm. because it's a, it's a key component. Because the, I think we all know that when we're really being honest to ourselves, with ourselves, honest about what's happening around us, again, within us, um, it's so easy to fall into a, a really highly critical mm. place and a way of it's overly judgmental and harsh. And so what we find is that truth, really like truth-telling and bearing witness to the, to the many layers of truth as it unfolds in our experience, it becomes um, really a, quite an, an unpleasant experience because it just we get pulled into this kind of low place of judgment. And uh, Jewish tradition, and I think I'm especially inspired by the Hasidic, the Hasidic tradition in this way, really affirms that there's another element to our experience as human beings, which is really about receiving love. Often, you know, tradition understood as receiving a kind of divine love, but also really developing a heart of love uh, and, and training ourselves. And again, I'll get to that training in a moment, but like training ourselves in inclining lovingly towards our lived experience. So, I can walk around my life and just fight everything. I can notice how uh, things are always lacking and imperfect, broken. And, you know, it's not for no reason because things are that way yeah. on, a, you know, on some level. And so um, this is a kind of uh, corrective to that being, to that uh, kind of mind and heart of lack being the primary lens that, you know, that we use to understand the world, we're bringing, we're really trying to incline our heart lovingly. And so we're training and having a non-antagonistic relationship to our experience. It sounds like it's an Um, orientation toward abundance, too, rather than... Yeah, absolutely. Right. And so, you know, to answer your question, you know, how do we train in this? And, uh, you know, I think meditation 
in this context is really, um, you know, more and more I understand my own practice as being an opportunity, like my meditation practice, as an opportunity to come into contact with my experience and work with it in a certain kind of way. And so I take certain periods of time, which are sort of like, you know, just like, uh, you know, uh, one may go to the gym and train in developing, you know, leg strength. You do that in a certain, like, you know, concentrated periods, but the idea is often, you know, not just to have strong legs in the gym, but then to be able to, like, you know, take those strong legs out into the world. Right. And I, so, um, like in yoga, we say take the yoga off the. But when I when I go to my yoga class, my teacher will talk about taking the yoga off the mat and out into the wider world. Totally. And so we're, um, you know, taking concentrated periods of time to really work with our experience and to see that the way that I might relate to this breath and the next breath is an opportunity to you know train in developing certain qualities of being that I hope to bring out into the rest of my life. You know, and so that, you know, in the meditation, we have an opportunity to, like, develop these capacities. Uh, That being said, I really am a strong believer that to have a Jewish mindfulness sensibility does not depend upon sitting in meditation necessarily. I think the meditation is very helpful, but I think anybody who I think thinks about this, learns about it, even just a little bit, can do it Hmm. and can start to bring this kind of attention towards one's experience. It's like it's like Um, it sounds like you're it's like you're talking about like putting on a particular pair of glasses through which to see the world. Correct. Right, a particular pair of glasses and a particular you know feeling in one's heart. Hmm. Hmm. You know, because like I, I think the glasses that that and that decide. It's like how how am I seeing this world? How am I seeing the fullness of my experience? And uh, and then the question is, you know, how do I respond to that lovingly? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do I orient myself lovingly towards that reality? You know, and I think we can train in that, mm-hmm. and it's really helpful. Um, you know, we say uh, you should build your ark before the flood. You know, because it's often the case that we don't realize that we need an ark until the floodwaters are uh, rising up our, up our legs. If that's the case, then we, of course, do the best we can. And there are all kinds of things that we can use to support ourselves in difficult circumstances. But I think it's also the case that our tradition is urging us, um, and I think it does this in a number of interesting ways, but suffice it to say, it's urging us to um, prepare, to um, work on ourselves so that we, you know, it's not our final, our final day on earth that we come to, um, you know, act on what we know to be true, you know, deep in our hearts. Um, Rather, today is an opportunity to try to grow as a human being, to grow as a Jew, you know, to grow as me. Um, as a human being in this world. Oh, it's so lovely. I have had over the years mixed experience with committing myself to daily practice and, you know, where I've had good stretches where I've been successful at one or multiple practices and other stretches where it's just felt impossibly hard. And I haven't necessarily always brought an attitude of chesed toward myself when I'm not practicing. 
And I will say that this year, it felt like the floodwaters started to creep up, you know, after the election. It felt like a hard time. And I felt that I absolutely had to get my house in order to commit to practices because I, I just felt like an absolutely essential foundation on which I could build that, that if I could control nothing else that happened during the day, at least I could control whether or not I chanted every day and whether or not I meditated every day. And so this year has been the, the most sustained year of practice for me. And it has been an incredibly important touchstone for me. So it seems to me that, that what you're talking about is, I think you're right that we never know any any day we wake up thinking we're going to have one day and then the world can happen to us uh, catastrophe can descend or or even something less severe but just just a disruption and for many of us it feels like we're in a season of constraint uh, an extended season of constraint this approach and these practices just feel so essential to me at this moment in time yeah yeah, that really resonates. Yeah, I, I've often in the past months, I mean, just found myself really relying upon my spiritual practice. I mean, specifically this Jewish mindfulness practice, because I feel like it's helped me to stay connected to a kind of quality of experience in which, you know, that's not dependent upon everything being a certain way. Mm. And so it's like, it helps me access a, a calm and uh, peace and a kind of reservoir of, of vital energy that doesn't depend upon, you know, the world making sense or <laughs> me succeeding in, you know, whatever it is I'm hoping to succeed in or things in the world to go the direction that I think they should go. And that, I think this is critical. This is a practice that it helps me do that and it, it, it just links me continually to a, a real awareness and responsiveness to the other. I feel, you know, and I think this is a key, you know, our spiritual practices are tools and they can do like any kind of tool, you know, you could do a lot of different things with it. And I could take a hammer and build something beautiful and I could take that same hammer and break something, hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. And so I could use my meditation practice as an escape from the world and just try to stay there. Uh, I could also use my meditation practice to help me connect to that, you know, as I said, that sort of like wellspring of uh, life force, of vital energy connected to a, a kind of spaciousness and calm so that I can then re-enter the world and engage in the world, you know, from a place that's more steady that's more resilient, that in which I'm not just acting out of fear or anger, which often, as we all know, I mean, leads to, can lead to all kinds of problems, mm-hmm. unintended, usually. And so it's both something that um, has kept me connected to joy, even in a time that felt pretty dark. You know, amidst that darkness, you know, connect, staying connected to that light, you know, while at the same time being sort of renewed in my energies to engage in this world. To say nothing about, you know, all the energy needed to be in relationships, to, uh, you know, be a parent, be a partner, be a, you know, etc. So we all are pulled in so many directions. You know, I think it behooves us to 
make sure that we are uh, cultivating this kind of balanced and more full approach, you know, towards uh, being a human being um, in difficult times, which I think is another way of saying, you know, being a human being at any time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I think that that's a, you, you raise up this really essential point to make that I know that at least for some people, I remember the first time I went on a meditation retreat, my father said, oh, you're disappearing from the world. And to say, this is in the service of being in the world. It's not a repudiation. It's not a rejection. It's, it's a, as you said, it's a tool. It's a pathway toward bringing my best self forward. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a common misconception about meditation, but in some ways for good reason, because I think people can, you know, and has used spiritual practices, religious practices, religious life of, you know, really of all kinds as a way of shirking our responsibilities Mm -hmm. for others. I remember a, a story that has really stayed with me. A number of years ago, I, I, uh, I worked for uh, the U.S. Forest Service, and a friend who I worked with there, when I told her that after I was going to be at the Forest Service, I was going to spend uh, kind of uh, time doing extended retreat at this Zen monastery in California. And when she heard that, she was like, eh, eh. <laughs> and I said, you know, what do you mean? What do you mean? Why, why do you react like that? And she said, listen, my last boyfriend was a serious meditator. Whenever we would get in an argument, at some point, once things would start heating up, he would raise his hands and he would say, I need to go meditate. And he would go in his room and he would close the door and he wouldn't come out for hours. Mm. Mm. And so to my friend... In her experience in relationship, she experienced meditation being used in a way, in many ways it denied her reality, and it was a way of escaping the messy work of relationship. And I actually think that this is one of the reasons why a Jewish mindfulness practice makes so much sense to me, because Jewish spiritual life, with very few exceptions, has always been about practice in the world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it hasn't been the idea that, you know, where where does uh, religious life dwell? Only in the synagogue, or only in the study hall, or only with the, the clergy. But we all can say blessings, we all can pray, we all can learn Torah, we all can do mitzvot, you know, engage in the, the ritual life of, of Jewish living. And I think this is really in that spirit, because when you practice in the world, you have to be able to make your practice manifest in working with the messiness of the world. And so I think, you know, when we uh, start to look at Jewish mindfulness, you know, in this Jewish, this, uh, you know, this wonderful Jewish tradition of engaged spiritual life, worldly spiritual life, I think it's just so beautiful because the, our, our, our sources, our wisdom traditions, they don't speak to, to a kind of uh, Jewish mindfulness approach that has the potential to really, you know, enliven our lives and help stay connected to a kind of uh, sense of ongoing renewal and um, stay connected to a kind of spiritual core, which 
supports our capacity for dealing with dark, messy uh, places. And to shine some light onto them as well. That's it's yeah. Um, it's wonderful. Oh, Jordan, thank you so much. I've so I've learned a lot, and I feel kind of uh, bolstered in my own practice. And I'm so grateful to talk with you. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. I want to thank my guest, Rabbi Jordan Ben-Dadapel, for our wonderful conversation on mindfulness in general and on a Jewish approach to mindfulness. We will share information about uh, some of the sources and some of the practices that we've discussed on jewishrecon.org and on ritualwell.org. I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman, and you've been listening to Hashivenu, Jewish Teachings on Resilience.